You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We got a lot to get to today. Some really hot takes on Tom Brady that you're not going to believe. A lot of football talk as we get ready for the divisional games this weekend, but we could not start the show without acknowledging the aggression that I experienced <laughs> earlier in this day. The shade of it all that I was uh, unfortunately exposed to while not even working on Around the Horn today, but they came looking for me, Fitz. And we need to get that out of the way before we can get to anything else because, honestly, I will not stand for it. I will not stand for it one bit, particularly from the folks who were doling it my way. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You know, Around the Horn's like a family. Uh, and sometimes you got crazy uncles in that family. You know, there's a lot of people that you like. You think they're very smart. They're very qualified. They, they, you like having them around. And then there's the George Sedanos and the Frank Isolas of the family. Uh, the ones that are always coming with the unnecessary hate, with the shade, with what I amount to a whole lot of jealousy of one Chicago Bulls team that's outperforming expectations, just in a little slump right now. And it causes them to have this conversation pre-show today. Frank, do you agree that uh, the Bulls are a fraud? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're not. It's, it's, my, it's Miami, Milwaukee, or uh, Brooklyn. So Three dismissive. Teams. Oh, I wish Sarah was here to see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they lost by, what, 34 to the Nets, and then a couple of nights it's later, they lost week. by 42 to the Warriors. And, and here's the other thing. Reeling. Izzy and I were talking about this on chat. Justin, I'd love for your thoughts. Lost by like, 33 If to your the best Mavs. players are Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and, and, and De- DeMar DeRozan, you're not winning a championship. Okay. Well, we all know Frank Isola wouldn't know good basketball if it was played on the court in the city of his residence 49 years ago, which was the last time there was good basketball played at Madison Square Garden. And we know that George Sedano is a heat lifer who somehow has gotten transplanted to L.A. and gets to decide when he wants to be all about the Lakers and when he wants to be a heat homer. Fitz, I think this is a little premature. The Bulls have had a tough little stretch here where they've been without predominantly Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, four power forwards. They literally don't have a power forward. And that has greatly affected their ability to be effective, especially against good teams. The Grizzlies, who they got blown out by on Monday, the Warriors, the Bucks. Yeah, it's been a bit of a struggle. But to call them frauds, I will not stand for it. Yeah, fraud seems aggressive in this NBA season, particularly knowing that everything changes so quickly. And it's amazing how we assign fraud to certain teams and then other teams were like, oh, they're just they're just going to be healthy at the right time. Right. It doesn't matter what happens in the regular season. I'm not taking anything away from the Bulls. And most importantly, Sarah, always remember that when you work with Sarah Spain, there's an open mic somewhere you can get bitten. Yeah, yeah, you just watch yourself. I'll tell you what, I was listening earlier today to Waddle and Sylvie, and Jeff Van Gundy was on, who called a recent Bulls game, has been following closely with this team, as they've been sort of the the the, the darling of the league, an unexpected top seed in the, fir- in the East through this beginning of the season, despite a lot of people really questioning the offseason moves they made. And I think he really summed up that if you're, if you're, Comparing them to, say, a healthy Nets team when they've got the big three out there, um, maybe you're reaching a little far for this season, but there's still big things ahead. And Jeff Van Gundy summed it up well. I just don't think they have enough yet, but could they make the final four uh, and, and get to the Eastern Conference final? Yeah, yeah. Now they also, if they drop down to with all these injuries – to four or five, you know, they could lose in the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a talent advantage yet. What they've done a great job of is getting back into the game 
by it adding Vucevic and Caruso and DeRozan um, and Ball, they've, they've upped their level of talent. But it's, again, there's still more work to be done. And Fitz, I think that's a big part of this, is we spent most of the early part of this season, as the Bulls were thriving, talking about just how effective it's been to have Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso powering their perimeter game, disrupting opposing offenses, making fast break points, really making up for Vucevic not being a super strong presence in the paint despite the other stuff he's done. Alex Caruso's been out, and that's been really difficult. You add Lonzo Ball to that mix, and now you don't have this that disruption. You've got a super disjointed Bulls offense, which doesn't even have a power forward, is missing one of their superstars in Zach Levine. And then Vucevic has struggled of late and hasn't even been the guy that you expected him to be on this team. It's not surprising, then, that a team like the Grizzlies, one that is really great at takeaways, would take advantage of an offense that's not in a rhythm. You would also not be surprised to learn that they were really effective without being disrupted disrupted by a defense that doesn't have two of its most aggressive and gritty players. Like, it's not a surprise that they've struggled. It, it's a surprise to me, although not not knowing who, what I know about the people who were speaking, that they would already be out on the Bulls. Yeah, I think part of the struggle, too, you can't let the recency of the struggle overwhelm the body of work that we've seen Thank throughout you. the course of the season. And at some point, you have to acknowledge the fact that you have a bunch of guys that are having career years that have seemed to gel together in a very special way when they play together. If I'm in Chicago, I'm looking at it and saying, hey, let all of those things take care of themselves and don't disrupt something that was working really, really well. Like, we just presume everybody else is going to figure it out and it's going to be just fine. But we've seen it from the Bulls at this point. We've seen yeah. how good they can be when everybody's healthy, when they're all on the court together, and the way they gel. That seems special to me. I wouldn't want to disrupt that unless I absolutely thought I had to. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. The team that handed the Bulls their butts on Monday, the Grizzlies, are back in action tonight, starting at 8 Eastern against the Milwaukee Bucks. This should be a fantastic meeting. Roz Goldawunde was on uh, NBA Today with Malika today, and I thought she had some interesting things to say about the Grizzlies. We mostly focus on Ja, and for good reason, but bigger picture, this is what's making them so effective. I see a clear identity for the Grizzlies, and they know how to execute it, and it's all about possessions and pace. They want to create extra possessions. So on defense, they're long. They got active hands. They're in passing lanes. They're turning you over and offer them turnovers. They're off to the races. Even bad shot selection is like a turnover. Bad shot, they rebound off to the races. So as soon as you get that shot up, your defense has to start. You got to get back in transition defense. And then you must, Malika, you got to finish it with a box out because they're one of the best teams in the league at crashing the offensive glass and creating second chance opportunities and shots and points. Yeah, this is a really well-rounded Grizzlies team that's similar to the Bulls, especially in, in their in their run through the playoffs last year, was a little bit ahead of expectation, especially what we're seeing from Ja. So Ja versus Giannis, uh, you know, they've got this great uh, road, road streak of six straight on the line. This should be fun. Yeah, well, and, and pace of play is something that really worked for Ja at Murray State. I'm not surprised to see them incorporate that. Desmond Bain has played really well. Jaron Jackson's played really well. Tyus Jones has been big off the bench. I'm just looking at a Memphis team that has depth and they play with a lot of energy. They're young. They're fun. 
it feels like they're into this moment better than anyone expected, and I love every second of it for them. They, they're going to be hard to beat if Ja continues to be this explosive in the paint particularly. Yeah, they keep giving away jerseys too just to turn all those folks that gave up on them during the low times. Uh, we've got another one tonight that we're definitely keeping an eye on, and that's going to be the case anytime the Lakers play, not just to see if they can get better and improve so there's a little more hope down the season when it matters most, but also because Frank Vogelwatch is officially on uh, 10-30 Eastern start for Pacers at Lakers. Bill Oram, Athletics Lakers writer, was on with us last night talking about that Frank Vogel watch. You know, what we've been told was that that one win by no means means that he is safe for the rest of the year. You know, he continues to be evaluated. It was, we were told it's, you know, game to game, really. So for Vogel, it's really a matter of continuing to build off that win against the Jazz, continuing to collect more wins then basically try to survive until Anthony Davis comes back from this MCL strain that's kept him out for 14 games and try to build some momentum and make it to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you keep stringing together wins. It's a little harder to fire someone right after a win, but it's like if you lose, it's like at any moment, that could be it. Well, especially if you lose to a team as bad as the Pacers. Like, the Pacers are, are not good right now, and if you're the Lakers, you, you've got to hope that you come out win the games ahead of you that you should be able to win mm -hmm. without AD. Like, I understand that we have a conversation about who the Lakers can be, but they need to be better than the Pacers no matter who they are right now for sure. NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as the Mavs host the Suns, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Coming up, we're counting down to the NFL Divisional Round. We'll focus on the AFC who really needs it most this weekend? It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, happy birthday to Dolly Parton. 76 years old, posting Twitter photos that say, here's a pic of me in my birthday suit, and it's a suit. Mm. What a gem. Uh -huh. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz, you ever get to work with Dolly? So I didn't really work with her much, but I do have a, a couple of Dolly stories. I'll give you one real quick. So I was playing the CMA Awards, the Country Music Awards, which used to be at the Grand Ole Opry House. And it was the year that NSYNC had done a, a duet with Alabama on God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You. So NSYNC was performing at the awards. You know, I grew up with one of the guys in, in the band. And so we were catching up. There's like this little green room at the Opry that everybody walks through. So I'm sitting there with my buddy JC. And we're, you know, shooting the you know what and just kind of catching up. Hadn't talked to each other in a while. And Dolly walks through. And in the middle of Dolly walking through, it's like we're both younger guys at that point. Like our mouths just like drop down because she's Dolly, <laughs> right? She looks yeah. and we're obviously staring at Dolly. And she just turns around and looks at JC, who at this point is like one of the biggest pop stars in the world. She just looks over at both of us and she says, yep, boys, they're real. And then she walked out. That was my first interaction <laughs> with Dolly Parton. And it only cemented her legend status to me. Absolute legend. Oh. Meanwhile, they are not, but it doesn't matter. Like that's, <laughs> that's what that, makes it funny, though. That's what makes it funny. Um, she's got a lot of good lines about um, the old rack of lamb, for, for yeah. lack of a yeah, better yeah. term. Um, but she is just also deep down. If you have not heard Dolly Parton's America, it is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Fascinating, even if you're not even a big fan. Uh, happy birthday to Dolly. Truly, truly an American hero. Don't forget, speaking of American heroes, my podcast. Uh, just kidding. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. No, the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available.
available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, let's talk about the AFC. We'll start there. We'll get to NFC later. And, and the teams that need a win the most. We did this sort of as we were nearing the end of the regular season, but with everything now crystallized, is there a squad that you're looking at and you think either because their window is short or their QB situation or something that is, is ahead of, of the rest in terms of this is the year, this is the time? I think there is a sneaky amount of pressure in the AFC particularly around the Chiefs. And I know that sounds kind of crazy because everybody always loves everything that the Chiefs do, and I understand that. But we are at that spot where the Chiefs continually get close. They do have one Super Bowl, I know. But if you look at the rest of the AFC, I see risers, right? Like I see a rising team with the Bengals. I see a rising team with the Bills that seems to find the next level. I'm looking at the Chiefs saying, you're in this window. And with that window comes such expectations. And there is going to come a time where the salary cap gets a little tougher on them. And much like now, years later, we look back at the Packers and we say, have they maximized enough with Aaron Rodgers? I just wonder how much the conversation will turn to that if Patrick Mahomes, again, finds himself close to but not actually winning a Super Bowl. This Chiefs team is so incredible that it raises the level of expectation and I think by pressure uh, is raised around him as the rest of the AFC tries to raise up to match them. I don't agree with you, but I see something to that. And I think for sure, you don't want to be... It was really impressive when the Bills kept making the Super Bowl, but it also went down in history as sort of heartbreaking to keep going and not winning. They've got their Super Bowl. That helps the Chiefs a lot in this situation. But two straight years of getting really far and coming up short, that's tough. And the reason I disagree with you is because they still have Patrick Mahomes, and he is still young. Yes, it is a massive contract, and that will affect the kind of talent they've got. But if Andy Reid's sticking around, and if you've got Patrick Mahomes, you want to go play there. You could convince guys to take a little less, believing that we're always in it, and and we're going to keep getting better. Um, and so I don't think there's pressure on a team that's going to have Patrick Mahomes for the foreseeable future for many years to come. For me, it's Tennessee. And maybe that's contradictory in terms of the mystery around that squad and the lack of expectations despite their number one seed. But when you've got what Bill Barnwell has told us about the the major drop in efficiency for Derrick Henry this season before the injury, the numbers looked good. I think he finished the season as like the eighth most rushing yards despite missing half of it. But that was the workload that he got. That was not the efficiency of his runs. That was not yards per carry. He was not the same guy, despite still being effective enough to really help that team out. He disappears and they're still pretty good, but there are a lot of question marks about Ryan Tannehill. I think people are really hyped about Vrabel as a coach, but this doesn't look like a formula that's guaranteed to do much for you moving forward. They are not dominating by virtue of you know, extraterrestrial or supernatural talent uh, that you can count on to lead whatever else the rest of that roster looks like. Um, carrying over year to year, I don't know that I see next year as any guarantee that the Tennessee Titans are going to be good again. That, so you raise an interesting angle to the pressure conversation because I, I might buy above and beyond any team that Tannehill is under some pressure just because of public perception. One thing that's interesting to me for all the years I lived in Nashville is that the Titans have had an ebb and flow in the level of overall, uh, let's say, passion from the fan base at times. Like there's a very passionate group of Titans fans, but it's not always the biggest or loudest. So sometimes I feel like the Titans live outside of a bubble of pressure because – 
frankly, it's a community that's more forgiving to mediocrity than others without the same level of passion to the fan base every single day. I'm not saying that in a way that everybody needs to at me, but it's just a reality in my mind. So, I, But you do make an interesting point because this defense for the Titans has played much better than I think anybody expected they could. And you know you have Derrick Henry. And you know that you've got some weapons on this team that are considered to be elite. So now, if they don't win, if they find themselves this weekend, for example, exiting the playoffs, now you got to look around and say, well, what's going to make next year different? I think that does raise the level of pressure on Ryan Tannehill, who got paid so much that now you can't get paid to that level and then not have expectations that with or without 100% of Derrick Henry, you can go out and do your job as a quarterback in the NFL. So maybe Tannehill, even though I think that the, there's pressure on the Chiefs, maybe I'm buying that there's pressure on Tannehill individually. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about who's got the most kind of riding on this weekend. Who needs a win the most? And I guess the semantics matter because there's a difference between pressure because of expectation, which is certainly more on the Chiefs than the Titans after this season uh, because of recent success. Um, but it, it could be more about the window is a different question. And maybe I'm thinking that the Titans' window feels smaller and therefore this yeah. year feels bigger, even though there is a tremendous amount of, of expectation for the Chiefs. We, we can't leave out the Bills either. I think we could agree that the Bengals are, if not right on schedule early, and with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. But the Bills do have, always creeping up on them, Bill Belichick and whatever he got the Patriots together to do. This was year one, and he got a Mac Jones-led team into the postseason. Yeah, they got their butts whooped. But you're not going to get very long as a Bills fan where you're riding high and you're on top, I don't think, as long as you've always got to worry about Belichick. So for them, it might be, let's take advantage of the now. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, because, you know, once you break through that that wall that is the Patriots, now it's can you sprint to the finish line? And I think part of what pressure comes down to for me is is I think about pressure as, as being so much about the public reaction that comes from a, a loss. And it feels like if the Bills go out and lose to the Chiefs, everybody will say, oh, well, that's okay. But you're right. Also, you've got to capitalize if you're Buffalo on this window where you know, you've got to imagine that at this point, if we're going to take Josh Allen and say, look at his trajectory, well, let's look at what the trajectory could be for Mac Jones. The Patriots are only going to get better every year, which means if you're Buffalo, you better take advantage of the window you have right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough time for anyone in the league when you're looking at <laughs> Tom Brady still around, Belichick and his new QB are lurking, uh, the Chiefs are always going to be there. I mean, it's tough to break through, and that's why if you've got a squad that's great right now, the way that the Bills have been working towards something, I think there's a lot of expectation to try to hit while the iron's hot. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, speaking of this weekend's games, we'll dive into one of the most anticipated coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, <laughs> the ESPN app series XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We don't need I'm it. telling you, sometimes we I just got to try it out, Sarah. I feel like... You know, I, I, I've i got this whole, like, you know, late night radio thing going, yeah. getting down. Like, I'm, I'm good you know, with it. We put gonna, a little if we're gonna smooth jazz that, under I there. Think, like, you I know. think one of us is, is always going to win that fight. So, I wouldn't. Golly. You know what? Yeah, I, there's just nothing I do better than she does. <laughs> Except for play a violin. That's one thing I will say. There are many things. I, there are many I'm, things, I'm but you will not out-sultry my party boys. <laughs> 
Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're getting you ready for a wild weekend of NFL action. And to do that, let's talk about one of the best teams left in the AFC. We're going to head over and talk to Elena Getzenberg, ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter. Elena, thanks so much for the time. We were just talking about pressure and what teams in the AFC have it. How much pressure is on the Bills at this point to take advantage of this window of being this good? Uh, I mean, I don't think you can so much pressure, especially because of who they're playing this weekend. Um, They have not forgotten (laughs) what happened last season in Kansas City. Trust me, there's players who still have Stefan, there's uh, iconic, I don't know if that's the right word, very memorable picture of Stefan Diggs watching the Chiefs celebrate. Players have that saved on their phones. they, (laughs) They remember this, so the pressure is high, especially because of who they're playing this weekend. These teams met before, but I'm guessing that the Bills aren't taking a whole lot out of that victory, seeing how much the Chiefs sort of evolved over the course of the season. Fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because, as you point out, they have played this season, but with that AFC Championship game and they played last regular season, they've seen each other four times. This will be the fourth time in the past two years. That's a lot for teams that are not in the same division. So, it was a very different Chiefs offense when they went to Kansas City in week five. Patrick Mahomes did not look like he looks right now. So I think they'll take some, but they know that this is going to be a different game and that the Chiefs offense is operating right now at an entirely different level. Elena, let's be honest. Most of America is still sitting there shocked by what we saw. Not that the Bills won, but that they just absolutely decimated New England. Now, for many of us, that was an early or a late Christmas present, I should say, to get the Patriots to, to get that beating. But how much of that was real? Like, when you watch that, how much of that can I take and say, yes, that will carry forward in these playoffs? That's an interesting question because I think that – was what I left the game kind of thinking because no one, if anyone says they predicted that outcome, they're straight up lying. No one predicted that just absolutely like taking it to the Patriots. I, I was shocked. Um, But it's hard to say because one thing this team hasn't been this season is consistent. Um, They have Mm -hmm. put together a string of wins lately, but I mean, it was just a roller coaster in the middle of that season. It was win-loss, win-loss for a variety of reasons, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. So I think they can take some of what the offense was doing in terms of running the ball and how well the line was playing. I think they can take that into Kansas City. But Josh Allen having a career day, he threw threw more touchdowns than incompletions. I don't think we're going to see that again. So I think they can take some of the offensive success, but – it will not be at that level. Um, Just hopefully, you know, I think Josh Allen playing close to that level should be enough to get them a win. Elena Getzenberg, ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter, is with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about Bills Chiefs, perhaps the most anticipated game of this upcoming weekend. One of the questions that plagued the Bills all season long was a lack of balance, uh, understanding that we're, we're all excited when Josh Allen puts the team on his back, but that might not work as you get deeper into the season. The balance has gotten better with Devin Singletary's emergence since week 13 of the regular season, now fourth in the NFL with 456 rushing yards, 4.75 per carry, and a league-best seven rushing touchdowns. Stephon Diggs even talking about, hey, man, as long as he's getting those touches, I'm cool with getting fewer myself. 
Is it fair to say that they've fixed that problem? Or again, does it come down to inconsistency where you're just not sure how much you're going to have to depend on run versus pass? I mean, I, again, if you'd asked me like two, a month and a half ago, I would have had a very different answer. But they seem to have got this running game figured out. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be so electric every game, but a key to it has been they had a lot of offensive line instability, um, but they kind of have it figured out at this point. They put Ryan Bates at guard, who was a backup for almost all of the season, but he's playing well. They're healthy up front now. And, yeah, Devin Singletary is running, like, I mean, insanely well. He was did not look like this earlier in the season. Um, so they seem to have it figured out. And then, of course, their other running back, Josh Allen, is getting a lot more carries, and that's also helping the running game. So it's kind of been the combination of the two that has helped that, like you said, that balance. And they seem to have it figured out at this point. But I do think it's something the Chiefs, if they're smart, they'll look to slow down Josh Allen as a rusher because that's when this offense really gets going. We're talking to ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter Elena Getzenberg on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Elena, defensively, what do you think the most important thing is for Buffalo to accomplish against Kansas City's offense? Uh, do the impossible and slow down Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> um, no, but, I mean, the interesting thing, and I was talking to someone else about this today, is I think that we're kind of glossing over is the Bills are without their top corner, Tredavious White. Um, he tore his ACL on Thanksgiving Day. He was in that first Chiefs game. Um, Dane Jackson, who is his backup, um, has been playing well without him, but it's a large part due to their two safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, who have been playing lights out, um, both all pros, just phenomenal seasons. But if I'm the Chiefs, I test that corner situation. Um, it's something that can be exploited. They are without their top corner. The depth there is not great. Um, so if I'm the Chiefs, that's what I would go after. But, I mean, it's just Patrick Mahomes. So <laughs> slowing him down has to be the key. And it's. I think this defense is up to the task. But if the exploitation opportunity is absolutely there. Spain and Fitz talking to Elena Getzenberg, who covers the Bills for ESPN. I didn't hear a lot about big injuries. Are, are they feeling pretty healthy going into this weekend? They're insanely healthy. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a, it's an, a dream world for a playoff team. Um, the only person on their injury report today was Mario Addison, who's one of their defensive ends. He's dealing with a shoulder, but even he was limited in practice, and it's Wednesday, so he has two more days to ramp it up. And besides that, they are healthy and good to go, so not a lot to watch for there. All right, Elena. So when you look at all of this, how do you think this game plays out for Buffalo? <laughs> I've been going back and forth on this <laughs> all week since we knew who they were going to play. Um, for me, I do think with the way the Bills are playing, I think they can pull it out. But it's going to require, like I said, Josh Allen playing very well. If he doesn't play well, I think they lose. But I think I think with the way the Bills are playing right now and the revenge factor in mind. I think they, they win a close one. Mm. Elena, we appreciate your time, your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Elena Getzenberg, ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. With more than 30 unique coverage options available, Progressive knows small business. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Sarah, I think the health aspect that she just mentioned is something I don't know that we all talk about enough. Like, you can mm -hmm. look at a couple of teams, the Bills and the Titans, particularly Packers, in the AFC, that are so – Yeah, the Packers back. 
they're they're just as they start to get healthy, it just makes such a difference after this grind of an eighteen week, seventeen game season. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference, especially when you're looking across to teams like the Bucks, who now have some big questions to answer in terms of protecting Tom Brady in addition to the weapons that they've lost offensively. Uh, and then you're like, oh, instead the Packers team that's already been very consistent and great is getting back dudes that are really going to help them. Um, I think a lot of times uh, months later, we think less about those specifics, but in the moment they play a huge role. Well, we'll see how it plays out. In the meantime, we're going to go we're going to shift over to the NFC and figure out how important is this run for Aaron Rodgers. We'll answer the question next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A lot of pressure conversations coming in as we get ready for a weekend of football that uh, you know, I know a lot of people love the, you know, the championship rounds, the AFC, NFC championship. I- I'll take this round over any of them. You get great football all day, tons of drama all day. I'm all in for this weekend. But the question is, who's under the most pressure? Now, we looked at the AFC already, Sarah, but there's an even, I think, more difficult question to answer from the NFC side because you've got legacy all over the place. You've got big brands all over the place. You've got quarterbacks that are later in their careers all over the place. Like on the one hand, the AFC feels like a bunch of risers, right? And the NFC, it feels like a, you know, a bunch of people that have been there, done that. The question is who can take advantage of it. So pressure is actually a much different conversation looking at the NFC than the AFC. Yeah, completely agree. Um, there's still a good battle to be had, though, between us as to as to who's who's got the most. Because there's big picture, as in a whole team and a franchise that's looking for potentially a massive pivot point, i.e. Green Bay, or an individual like a Jimmy G, whose entire career and just how much trust he's given as a potential starter at another team could weigh on how he fares the rest of this postseason. Yeah, and that's the the Jimmy G one is the one that really stands out because you talk about trying to figure out what's next and the Packers, sorry, the Packers, the 49ers are in this weird spot right now that is exactly where they wanted to be. I mean, uh, as we go back and remember the NFL draft when they when they selected Trey Lance at the top of the draft, part of the conversation about why maybe they were playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers was because their roster felt like it would be very good enough to go on a run. So now they're getting that great situation, but you've got to look at it from Jimmy G's standpoint and say, man, the pressure's on because you do have this roster and this opportunity, and you know that if you can win a Super Bowl, you are absolutely changing whatever is next in your life, whether it's staying in San Francisco, which none of us believe it will be, or going somewhere and getting a massive bag of cash. Like If you're Jimmy G, there's the pressure of opportunity that could come from playing lights out in this game that I think has to be real. Yeah, and I don't think it's a real question for the Niners, even if he, as weird as it sounds, wins them a Super Bowl. I just They gave up so much for Trey Lance, and I think people would think Jimmy G did enough, but the future of being great is higher with the potential of, of Lance, and that's what's wild about it is he could still and likely is gone regardless of how it goes. The question is what happens for him next. Then there's Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't think... You know, uh, we just talked to Elena. She said anyone who, who who said they knew how that Bills game, they would be lying. I think anyone who says they know for sure what Aaron Rodgers is going to do is lying, even maybe Aaron Rodgers at this point. Um, it feels tenuous still. It feels like a lot of people have the gut feeling he's sticking around. But how they finish and whether or not they get caught up in the NFC cha- title game again 
It could affect the decision making. Um, and he, of course, is not only facing questions about the opponent that they're playing, but of course, back around all the questions about retirement and what's next and where he's going. Here's what he said in the latest presser. I think football mortality is something that we all think about. And we all think about how many opportunities we're going to be afforded moving forward. And each one is special. Each season is different and, and unique in its own way, as has this one been. We're not going to make it bigger than it uh, than it is. We've gotten this far being level-headed and even keeled and not riding a roller coaster of emotions, and we're going to keep on doing the same thing. Hmm. I mean, that's one thing, to, like not riding a roller coaster of emotions. This season hasn't been a roller coaster of emotions. What has it been? Like, I would <laughs> say that, you know, emotion doesn't just mean happy and sad. Like, it, it's an emotional man that – pops his foot up and tells us all about his toe like there's, there's uh, been a roller coaster of emotion the, uh, here the the final key turned in the cancel casket of his own death i don't think that's the exact quote but that's pretty dramatic <laughs> pretty oh dramatic. but there is like sneaky this gets weird right because it depends on what you want if you're the packers and you win a super bowl which is obviously what everybody wants if you're the packers and you win a super bowl now you've got the opportunity to turn around and and use this hey we just won a super bowl which means we have surrounded him with a ton of talent we'll find a way to pay Devonte to make sure that he stays here and also uh you know you're going to leak to the media that you're giving aaron Rodgers the most incredible contract history's ever seen a quarterback be offered and now all of a sudden you can take the hey we've done everything the right way uh, Aaron Rodgers is the bad guy scenario, right? So, like, for the Packers, it feels like there is pressure to get this this Super Bowl. You get this win. That's an insane amount of pressure because it is your only shot if you really want to have any leverage going into the offseason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and we haven't even met – how have we not even mentioned the Rams yet? I, I mean, listen, you've got on the other side another question mark in Tom Brady just in terms of the window. I, I know we all agreed we're just going to pretend he doesn't age because he hasn't yet. But at some point, eventually, I guess, he won't be as good anymore. It wasn't this year as he continued to set personal marks in a number of ways. And you've got the Rams. So it's, it's a similar situation. Green Bay as a team is wondering what comes next while Jimmy G questions his future. With the Rams, that's a whole team wondering what's co coming next while, while maybe Tom Brady is, is the hinge for the Bucks, And we could not beat to death enough the narrative that the, the Rams are in it for the now and this is their window. So does that give you the feeling that they, out of all of these teams, are the most in dire need of a win? Yeah, because think about what we're talking about. I mean... We're talking about the 49ers are under pressure because – or Jimmy G's under pressure because of his future. But the 49ers' future, they've got to believe, has a lot of potential in it. And if you look at the, the, the 49ers, if you look at the Packers, they've got to believe that, hey, there is still a, a path out of this where we're fine. If you're the Rams, Mike, I mean, if you're not winning Super Bowls now, like as much as everybody now is calmed down for, what, 48 hours on the Matt Stafford narrative, if he comes out and plays like trash – that's going to be just 10 times louder than ever because then it'll be like he only got the one playoff win and it doesn't even count because, you know, the Buccaneers just decimate, right? So it feels like they're right back to square one with no equity to continue to build towards the future. I, I mean, the Rams are so pot committed at this point that they have to have the most. They're sweating the most to me. Yeah, I mean, I do think a big big thing is is going to be how Matt Stafford plays. If Matt Stafford is good – not even great, but just good enough. As much as they've put into this season and as much as we will talk about the lack of draft picks and everything else, this is kind of how that team operates. They are always more into a sure thing through free agency and trades than they are 
into the guesstimating of draft picks. So it's not like they come back next year and they're trash. You know what I mean? It's not like the window is certainly most open now, but it doesn't just close next year. You've got Matthew Stafford signed up, but if he's terrible and you feel like you could have done better with Goff and there will be those comparisons made, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I'm going to use the nerdiest analogy uh, I've used with you this calendar year so far. Wow. Uh, because I doubt that you know anything about this, Sarah. But, like, when you play Madden in franchise mode, mm-hmm. like, there's a beginning where you're, you're really careful with your future draft picks because you know you're trying to rebuild your team and everything. Then you realize that there's a spot where you just you're not going to play enough seasons to, to have it matter. So you start trading everything away. The, the Rams have played like they are a 14-year-old kid playing Madden in franchise mode, and they don't care about the future at all. So – if you win, it's right. going to be fine. But you're absolutely right that if Stafford if Stafford plays even mediocre football, at least they'll be okay. The, the scariest part about this is when you really start looking at the pressure cooker, I'd argue that the Bucks have the least amount of pressure in them. They just especially won. Especially considering what they had last year <laughs> yeah. for pressure. So now all of a sudden, like, if you're the Bucks, you're like, yeah, you know what? We're good. We're just going to play loose and free. Yeah, I mean – I think you'd be hard-pressed to convince me, even with Brady's age, that they're under any great pressure, mainly because they just won. Of course, it'd be... You know what is so sad? I was just going to say, of course, it'd be more fun to win when COVID isn't hanging over and you could party more. And I'm like, but uh, this this is not going to happen. That's what we said the first time the Tampa Bay Lightning won the cup. (laughs) And then they won it again. And they still didn't get... They did. Everybody still partied. We saw Tom throw the the, the trophy and get drunk on uh, God knows what. But, yeah, I, 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 I... I think it's it's tough to argue that the defending champs need a win bad. Yeah, it's. I think what's interesting to me is I said earlier that when I get to the playoffs, I trust combos, right, tag teams. I want a quarterback and a coach that are a star and a coach that I can both rely on. When you start thinking about pressure, to me, you can make the argument one of the two has the pressure in San Francisco, but not both. You can make the argument that one of the two in Green Bay. You can make the argument that neither in Tampa – but you can easily make the argument that both the quarterback and the coach are under pressure for the Rams. So after mm-hmm. all of this, it is squarely the Rams for me. There you go. Okay. Uh, I'm still deciding. No, I'm just kidding. I think it's the Rams. I agree with you that it's the Rams. Yeah, well, and I'm not sure what difference that will actually play to this game, but uh, certainly knowing that the Rams have this much pressure is going to be a big part of it. For all the conversation about pressure, though, at the end of the day, once a game kicks off, You've got a bunch of guys that have been there a million times, including especially the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, for all of the conversation about what Tampa Bay's been through, there are some issues that could be derailing their attempts at repeating as Super Bowl champions. It's not going to be easy to get through the juggernaut that is the Rams, especially with some of the injury issues. So we'll get the latest on those injury issues, what it could mean to the game and what it could mean to their playoff chances. We'll do all of that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Started out the night responding to some shade about my bulls. Need them to come through tonight. It would be a real (laughs) bad look for me if they just, just laid an egg tonight. Uh, against Cleveland that one's getting underway any minute now we'll keep you updated on that but we got to get back to some football we were just talking about the teams that have a lot on the line and 
While it feels like every year you've got Tom Brady, you want to take advantage, we've also been saying that for about 10 years now. So let's <laughs> stop talking about the limited timeline you got and instead talk about what's protecting him from a sooner retirement than planned. To join us and talk about that, Tom Krasnicki, 620 WDAE and 95.3 FM Tampa Bay. Tom, thanks for the time. Sarah and Jason, good evening. Great to be with you. Let's talk offensive line. Where are we on health and, and expectations for the weekend? Great question, Sarah. I think the Bucks are concerned about Tristan Wirfs. It's a high ankle sprain, which obviously isn't you know a great prognosis. Usually it's about a multi-week type of absence. Didn't practice today. I don't think he's going to practice all week. I would call him very questionable for the game on Sunday. The prognosis, a little bit more promising for Ryan Jensen. He was injured early in the game against the Eagles, also with an ankle injury, but he's as tough as nails. He came back into the game, and I think he should be fine for Sunday. So, Tom, if there's no Tristan Wirfs, what becomes the plan on the offensive line? Jason, they're going to have to pray and hope that Josh Wells, a journeyman who stepped in at right tackle after Tristan got hurt, can do the job. Now, he's got an injured quad, too, so he was limited in practice today, although the Buccaneers just had a walkthrough, but... He would be the guy that would replace Wirfs at right tackle, but he gave up a sack last week to Ryan Kerrigan as well. So if Wells has to go, they will likely give him a lot of help, a running back, a tight end on that side to chip a little bit and give him some help. The good news is uh, they're only facing one of the scariest defensive lines (laughs) in all of the NFL and one of the scariest guys of all time. Uh, So no pressure. What did you see from Aaron Donald and company and that Rams team that the Bucs might have to worry about this weekend? Well, he's scary, Sarah. And they will line him up everywhere as they did against the Buccaneers. He'll line up inside, over the guard, over the center, outside a defensive end. And I have to believe that if Tristan Wirfs doesn't play on Sunday, he's going to line up against Josh Wells an awful lot. And the Buccaneers are obviously cognizant of that. They're going to give him as much help as they can in order to try and keep 99 out of Tom Brady's backfield. So what does that do? I mean, realistically looking at their offense and the fact that they do like to at times push the ball down the field, if they can't, how are they going to adjust? It's a good question. I think they will adjust. I think Byron Leftwich and company are huddled up this week, and they've got a game plan. And the good news here is it looks like Leonard Fournette's going to be back from that hamstring injury. As a runner, more importantly, as a receiver, he's going to give the Buccaneers a shot in the arm offensively. Giovanni Bernard, very good last week, ran for a touchdown, caught five balls out of the backfield. Tom Brady loves to utilize his backs and tight ends in the short passing game. I think you'll see a lot of dinking and dunking and maybe setting the Rams up for a shot down the field when the looks present itself. But I think you're going to see a lot of short to intermediate passes. Brady will get the ball out of his hands really quick this week. That I can promise you. Yeah, we've seen that all year long. Uh, After watching this team last year, they had a bye week, and then they were almost unstoppable after that. This year, it's been a little bit more up and down, down the stretch. What are the biggest concerns if they revert to some of the issues that they've had in those inconsistent moments at the end of the regular season? Sarah, it's all about the health. And last year, everything came together at the right time. They got Vita Vea back in the playoffs, and he was a big uh, obstacle, obviously, and made a big impact in the NFC Championship game, also the Super Bowl. Everyone came together and got healthy at the right time. This year hasn't been the case. Obviously, they lost Gronk for about 10 weeks, and they didn't have Antonio Brown for a number of weeks before he got himself fired. And Chris Godwin, obviously, the torn ACL against the Saints was a crippling loss. So, 
They have to pray and hope a guy like Mike Evans stays upright. He looked great last week. It's going to be all about Evans and Gronk on Sunday in the passing game. We're talking to Tom Krasnicki. You can check him out, 620 WDAE and 95.3 FM in Tampa Bay. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Tom, uh, it's been interesting to me watching men in the arena. You see a lot of Tom Brady's calm, cool nature towards the end of the season. And Gronk, the same way. There's sort of a been there, done that. We understand what it takes to get it done. But I think, as you just we just alluded to, it hasn't necessarily been calm and cool over the last month. So what is the level of sort of emotion for this team going in as they try and figure out how to get themselves right for a playoff run with the amount of experience they have? I think the one thing, Jason, that Brady brought here was that winning attitude and that culture that the Buccaneers had been missing for so many years. I mean, they were the laughing stock in the NFC South. They had finished in last place year after year. But when Brady got here and he started to organize those workouts, he taught everybody from Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to the guys who have been here a long, long time in a Buccaneer uniform, the Levante Davids of this world, how to get, to, how to prepare not only mentally but physically to win, win football games and do it at a consistent level. And it all starts on the practice field. So I don't think a lot of the practice habits were being, you know, followed through by a lot of these Buccaneer players until Brady and Gronk got here. You know, Gronk told us last week, listen, we got to get off to a fast start. You know how we do that? It starts on the practice field. And lo and behold, against the Eagles, they got off to a fast start. They jumped on the Eagles early before you knew it. That game was over. Yeah, it does feel like, obviously, the effect of Tom Brady on everybody uh, can't be understated. Quickly, before we let you go, do we care about Bruce Arians getting fined for hitting his own player? Is that a is that a blip on the larger concerns for this squad? No, Bruce kind of laughed that off today. I'm really surprised that the NFL would just, you know, come across with that kind of punishment. And he was trying to get Andrew Adams, a young player, away from the pile. I mean, Carlton Davis early in the game took his helmet off after a play and it incurred a 15-yard penalty. So he was just trying to get those guys to play smart football. So I'm really surprised that that fine came down and Bruce was kind of surprised too. Yeah, probably just setting a precedent though. You don't want to allow coaches to manhandle their players. If if it gets mentioned on the broadcast, you probably have to do something or say something so that uh, it doesn't set some sort of precedent. Bruce didn't seem too concerned, and neither did his player. Thanks so much for the time, uh, time, Tom. Really appreciate the insight. Thank Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Tom Krasnicki, 620 WDA and 95.3 FM Tampa Bay. It's Spain and Fit. CSPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. Coming up, a couple of the hottest Tom Brady takes we've heard in a while. Get ready, Bowen. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to listen to the Man in the Arena podcast, a 10-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. Available wherever you get your podcasts and brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. For a mortgage experience you can be a fan of, Rocket can. So we were just talking about the Bucks, and I think there are some pretty serious questions, Fitz, ahead of that game. We've both made a rule not to pick against Brady, but uh, we haven't made our official picks yet, and the health of that O-line is going to be a big part of how we feel about it. 
Yeah, can we like adjust that rule a little bit? Like, as a general rule, I don't pick a, I don't pick against Brady, you know, to have the end of his career or something. Like, there's going to be some middle ground on this because you're right. I mean, I'm, you can, I'm scared to death we've, against we've done that, that defensive a lot. line. We've right? done that a lot with him, and it hasn't worked out well for us any time. Yeah. Yeah, Same with my other LeBron James him. rule. Like, oh yeah, but this time he's got like no supported gas, and this doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, right, right. Some people are not afraid to take on the legend of Tom Brady. And two of them are on our airwaves, our, our radio and TV airwaves. Who do you want to start with? Let's let's start with Stephen A. Smith. Let's ease uh, our way into the hotter of the two takes. This one is quite warm, but not as on fire. Stephen A. Smith on first take today was talking about whether or not he'd want Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady right now. And at one point seems to make it sound like Tom Brady really just appreciates being out there right now. And that's all that matters. Here's Stephen A. Brady's the easy answer because of resume. But I got to tell you something. Based on the eye test, what I'm seeing yeah. and sensing the moment that we're in, yeah. for me, it's Rodgers. I'm thinking, well, you just beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field yeah. last year. You going to pull that off twice in a row against that brother? With this Green Bay Packers team, with Aaron Rodgers knowing how we'll all look at him yeah. if he let it happen again in back-to-back years, considering his level of unquestionable, undebatable, clear greatness. If I were to bet, ever decide to bet against Tom Brady, this is the moment that I would hey, do it. So- Okay. okay, so he doesn't quite go all the way, though, Fitz. At the end there, he says, if I were to bet, this is what I would do it. Yeah, but it's still at least a, a solid second base take here. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, he might yeah. not go all the way with it, but there's yeah. definitely heavy petting. Because, like, <laughs> when you start thinking about what we just heard, I, I just want to reverse the outcome and think about the whole conversation. So we're really going to use the fact that Tom Brady went into Lambeau and won last year as a reason why he can't do it this year, when, in fact, if they had <laughs> lost last year, would it be like, well, you're not beating Brady twice. And like, This is a no-win situation for logic behind a take. Like, All I'm thinking if I'm Brady is, so you're telling me because I did it already, I can't do it again? Like That makes no sense. <laughs> Let's also talk about the fact that he seems, Stephen A. seems to believe that if someone just really doesn't want people to say bad things about them, they'll be able to beat Tom Brady that's the entire NFL for the entirety of the last two decades has been man I really don't want to lose to Tom Brady oh and did uh also to your point uh technically it'd be winning back to back again but like an entire season has passed I don't know if we're gonna go with the you know if you say tough to beat a good team you know twice or even even you know Bill Belichick's record in the third meeting with teams which by the way didn't work out for him against the Bills this season but I don't know if I go back to back and 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 repeating when there's an entire season in between them but I think the thing that stood out the most to me as I mentioned was the idea that Tom Brady would ever view any minute on the field as bonus time. That dude was out there risking injury in a blowout last weekend. Totally unnecessarily. I just, I don't see him feeling like any of this is bonus time. If anything, the guy is so determined to add even more rings, even more to his legacy. That's why he's out there. That's why he's putting up better numbers than sometimes, you know, years younger. Because you could have easily been done last year if you thought this was bonus time after the yeah. win. 
there there is no way you get to Tom Brady's spot by being complacent at all with anything that you've ever done. And to that point, it, the 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 idea that Brady's like going to sit there with Gronk and they're going to high five on the side and say, you know what, let's just soak this one and enjoy it. You never know <laughs> when your last game's got like. There's just no element of soak this in and enjoy it about anything Tom Brady does. So I'm not by I'm not falling for any of that. Yeah. It's the tomfoolery. He's trying to trick us in new ways. He's using Tom. He's using Stephen A. as a pawn to try to get it's us. We're not buying tomfoolery because it's uh, the, Tom doing you. the fooling. Very good. Yes. Thank yes. You. The other take, uh, actually, is what I was just talking about. If you're Tom Brady and you won a Super Bowl in your very first year with your new team, you brought your buddy out of, um, you brought your buddy out of retirement and all that. Then, why would you be done? A year later. And that's what Rob Ninkovich seems to be saying on Get Up. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Tom decided to just kind of walk away and do, you know, whatever he wants to do. Because, listen, right now he's in bonus time. Uh, How many 44-year-old quarterbacks have we seen throw for the amount of yards and touchdowns? And he'll be 45 in August. So, at this point right now, you know, what else does he have to prove to anybody? What else does he have to check off the list? I mean, he's got TB12 that he has grown to being, you know, in L.A., in New York, in Boston. And he's got his own brand coming out in the Brady brand with his clothing line. And, and everything that he has done, he left the Patriots, went to another team, won a Super Bowl. Um, and everything as far as football goes, you know, when you feel content with your career and everything that you've done, you can kind of say, all right, I'm going to walk off on my own two feet. What, what what are we what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like what, Nink? What are you doing? Like where? What, there's no shot, right? Like there's no way that the world ends this easy for me. Like there's no way that Brady just you know the the likelihood of that is fine. If if I believe that, I also believe that as he's walking off, Brady is like just to be clear about one other thing, just so you know. It was a fumble, and there's no such thing as a tuck. Like that's how wow. likely I think Back it is that, that Brady again. actually leaves. I mean, get a hold of your life, dude. Get 20th anniversary a hold of today, your Sarah. life. It's, it's, Wait, it's yeah, really day. quick, really quick. Tell us yeah. about that project you just did. Oh yeah, I uh, I hosted a panel after the Thirty for Thirty, which comes out February sixth. Uh, but I was uh, lucky enough to get to host a panel with Ken Rogers that made the film. Sal Palantonio that was on the sideline for the game. Damian Woody, who played, obviously, for the Patriots. And Lincoln Kenny, Kennedy, who played for the Raiders. So we did a panel reacting to it. But I'll tell you, as painful as it is to watch, I can honestly say I've never seen any special done that does a better job of discussing, analyzing, and figuring out the tuck rule than this one. It is by far the best work I've ever seen on it. Okay. Well, that's certainly not going to get you to talk about it any less now that you've got a whole full panel panel and film full of knowledge about it. Uh, back to what you were saying. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Um, yeah, I think, first of all, it just feels silly at this point for any of us to try to guess at Tom Brady's durability or desire to play. I get it. At some point, it'll be over. But what's the point of guessing at it after the number of years that we have spent being wrong? It's sort of, like I've said before, about the LeBron stuff. They don't look good. The Lakers don't look good. If you ask me, I don't think I'd be picking them this year. But I'm certainly not going to end prematurely LeBron's ability to be great. LeBron's ability to lift up a pretty shoddy roster that doesn't look like they should be able to do much. He's done it before many times after we've given up on in the regular season. And Tom Brady has had essentially three different Hall of Fame careers. Like, if you split his career up into three separate chunks, he would be a Hall of Famer three times over. So why is anyone guessing at the guy we've already seen play for 
far longer than we ever could have imagined. Well, and pride is such a pride in what he's doing. And I don't mean pride in a bad way uh, uh, for Tom Brady is such a real thing. He understands the level he's playing at right now. And, you know, and you look back at the seasons that have resulted in Super Bowls and so many little things had to go right each time for him to get those opportunities. That's the way it works. Right. And it's happened for him because he works his tail off and because the preparation's there and because when the opportunities are there to be taken advantage of, he and his team have found a way to do it. So I look at all of this and say, why would somebody step away from the game if especially you're looking at the 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 year that the Buccaneers have had? Very little has been easy about this year, but he's still been able to play with one of his closest friends for a coach that he obviously enjoys playing for in an environment that he enjoys being in, living in Tampa. Like I, I feel like we're sort of presuming that he's going to have a I'm going to set off into the sunset moment when I don't know that Tom Brady's ever going to be wired. He's never given us the indication that there's going to be a spot where he's like, yeah, I feel good about it. And until I get that indication, I'm not going to presume that it's going to happen. And frankly, and until I see him actually be the reason his football team loses a game in the playoffs, I'm not going to believe that his decline is something that is that we should be concerned about. Which, by the way, was almost the case last year in, in playoff games, throwing three picks and then his team saves him and it all looks rosy and dandy afterwards. Whereas this year he really has been um, excelling, uh, which would be a bummer, I guess, for him and for the Bucks if the health of the rest of the team has a grave effect. Okay, after everything I've said during this segment, I then pose this question to you. What if they win? Is he out then? No, because, man, you think you, you want a little, like, we'll just give him a taste of that drug, and then he's going to leave after two straight Super Bowls? No, no, no. What's more no likely, way. he leaves after his next win or his next loss? Uh, I, you know what, more likely, oh, that's a really good question. I mean, he what's what's going to be awful are the Brady's better than Belichick debates that we're going to have to listen to for a week after if he wins again. Right, 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 right. I love that I spent the entire segment saying that it is a terrible idea to even guess it when he's gone, and then I peppered you with questions about the likelihood of his departure. <laughs> That's just good radio right there. It's Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we're going to check in on the Bengals ahead of their matchup with the Titans. Are the Bengals and Joe Burrow as concerned about the mysterious Titans as we are? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I don't know what we're doing here. Apparently, we, we have to talk about a certain team that plays in Cincinnati. I've never mm-hmm. heard of them. The Bengals, I hear they're good. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I know nothing about them because particularly I, forget. I don't remember anything that happened last <laughs> Saturday. Uh, it's all just a blur to me. That that part might actually be kind of true. Let's get some yeah, expertise. Yeah, yeah. We'll get some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. On all things Bengals, from Tony Pike, you can hear him on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. Tony, first and foremost, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, but also, I'm still hurt by the fact that the Bengals ended my beloved Raiders season. That being said, how do you feel going into the matchup against the Titans this weekend? Well, man, first of all, when, when I got this text today, I was surprised because my guy Jordan Cornette shared with me the video that, that you sang to him Ooh. ahead of that Raiders Bengals game. And uh, I, I'm so surprised that we haven't seen that that second act come back around yet. So hey, when Tony, I first got the text today. I, I mean, was surprised that that it was you. Look, Cornette texted me today and said, "Hey, he wants me on the Bengals bandwagon. He wants me to do a pro Cincinnati song this week, which to me seems a little weird because you won one. I did an anti Cincinnati song, but yeah, he wants one, so the world's getting one on Friday. You're getting a Bengals song, wow, Tony. Oh, okay. Man, how about that? I, look, I thought it was great, but but as for Cincinnati. You know, the 31-year playoff drought that the city had lifted this past weekend 
felt like not that much for Joe Burrow and this Bengals team. You heard Joe Burrow after the game and this week doubled down and said, look, we're happy for the city, but this is the new norm going forward. This is who the Bengals are. And you now roll that over to now that the Bengals team has never won a road playoff game and, and all of this stuff that, that keeps getting added in the outside feels the pressure. I think it just makes Joe Burrow and the rest of these guys elevate their play. So from a team standpoint, you couldn't have a more confident group going to Tennessee. We talk about this a lot in this show, and I talked about it particularly when my Cubs were down 3-1 and everybody was humming and hawing and moaning, and I said, you're 80. You've dealt with 80 years of failure. The longest-tenured Cub has been on the team for five years. They're just not handling it the same way you are, which I think is what's going on with the Bengals. Joe Burrow's a winner, and he's used to winning, so it's not a surprise to him that he's taking care of business as much as the fans are still a little bit nervous about you know the next shoe to fall. Um, let's talk about the Titans, because we've also been spending some time here being a bit confused we're not sure what to expect from a number one seed that's kind of flown below the radar especially considering the return of Derrick Henry and not sure what you're going to get from them how do you see this matchup what's the biggest key for the Bengals here you know I think a lot of people are going to circle Derrick Henry I just can't see a situation where he can come back after being out so long and carry the ball 30 different times um, you know this Bengals team in, in Tennessee are, are similar in so many ways. You look at Tennessee and they have a loss to the Jets and a loss to the Texans. They lost to the Steelers. And then they have wins over Kansas City and Buffalo and the Rams. You know, it, it, it's such a mirror image of some bad losses the Bengals have, but some really good wins that the Bengals have as well. But I look at the red zone in this matchup. The Bengals in that Raiders game struggled a little bit in the red zone. They don't run the ball well. They, they run for under three yards of carry in the red zone. And Tennessee has the best red zone coverage of any team in the NFL. So the Bengals have to find a way to score six points, score touchdowns in the red zone, because I think what a lot of defenses will do going forward is much like you saw from the Raiders, keep two safeties back, eliminate the big plays, something like you've seen the Kansas City Chiefs this year, and then try to hold the Bengals to three instead of six. Their red zone efficiency has got to get better. I mean, they could just bring a bunch of whistles and inadvertently. I couldn't wow. help it. Tony Pike wow. joining us, ESPN <laughs> wow. 1530 in Cincinnati. Tony, you knew I had to do it. Come on, I'm petty. I'm a child. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting, though. I thought the Raiders' defensive line would, would have a field day against the Bengals' offensive line. The Bengals' offensive line held up better than I expected. Can they match that against Tennessee? You know, I think so much of the Bengals' offensive line success coincides with Joe Burrow getting the ball out quick. You look at that first quarter against the Raiders, Joe Burrow was releasing the ball before Jamar Chase was even anywhere near out of his break. Their timing is just so dynamic. And when you have defenses that are not going to give up the big play because the Bengals are capable of that, Joe Burrow is just going to keep getting the ball out of his hands quick. And from playing that position, it's frustrating to a defensive lineman when you're going and the ball's already out of the quarterback's hand. So, you know, the Bengals kind of, they, they alluded to this this week. Joe Mixon was asked about teams trying to stop the run, and Joe Mixon said, look, teams are trying to beg us to run. They want us to run the ball, but Joe Mixon has such a hot streak, um, Joe Burrow has such a hot streak right now that his play is elevating everybody else. It's elevating and hiding a lot of the flaws of the offensive line. So it's pick your poison for the Tennessee Titans. Do you want to bring extra pressure and maybe try to exploit an offensive line that's not great but leave yourself vulnerable down the field for those big plays. That's what Mike Brable and company are going to have to wrestle with. 
Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Tony Pike, ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. A uh, big question for all the teams is health. The Titans didn't have to play last week, and they get back Derrick Henry. On the other side of the ball, the Bengals lost a big piece and have a couple question marks. Can you sort of wrap up for us the effects of last week's game and what things are looking like for this weekend? Yeah, good news and bad news right now for the Cincinnati Bengals. The bad news is that Larry Ogunjobi was put on IR earlier this week, and he was really an integral part of this run defense that has been top 10 in the NFL for much of the year. They're great at stopping the run. Larry Ogunjobi is a big piece of that. And you certainly look at Derrick Henry coming back, Larry Ogunjobi not playing. That is a uh, that is a, uh, a positive for the Titans. But Trey Hendrickson, the defensive end, uh, edge rusher for the Cincinnati Bengals, who was in concussion protocol, practiced fully today. So the Bengals get good news with Trey Hendrickson, bad news with Larry Ogunjobi. And good news last week is that Jesse Bates, the safety for the Bengals, played his best game of the season. And uh, if Jesse Bates can continue that play, help out around the line of scrimmage it should bode well for this Bengals rush defense Tony the atmosphere was electric in the beginning of that game obviously in Cincinnati for a lot of uh, obvious reasons right they're going to be playing in Nashville at this point does it make any difference in your mind that this game is going to be in a much different environment you know when you look at the makeup of the Bengals I don't think it does and this is no knock on Tennessee this is no knock on what just happened in Cincinnati the last weekend. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, they've all played in bigger games and bigger environments in their career. You think about national championship games and the SEC title games, and no offense to the divisional and the wild card round, but these players that play a big role for the Bengals have been in big moments before, and as Sarah alluded to as well, you have guys like Joe Burrow that – when everything else elevates around him, he just kind of keeps that calm, even demeanor. So whether it's a home playoff game, a road playoff game, when you have number nine and you have Joe Burrow, I think that evens a lot of things out, especially when you go quarterback versus quarterback in a big game like this. I think the Bengals feel like they have an edge there. Tony, I love hearing from local guys because I like to know what the vibe is in the city. Uh, is anybody on your station or maybe across town threatening to, you know, eat feces if they lose? Or uh, is anybody, you know, running down the street naked? What What is this doing to the uh, to the gas bags of Cincinnati? Uh, the the gas bags of Cincinnati have no idea how to respond right now because <laughs> it's Cincinnati, right? We've we've had lifetimes of, you know, the Cincinnati Reds have a two zero lead against the Giants and they lose three in a row at home, and the UC Bearcats blow a twenty two point lead in the NCAA tournament to Nevada. Xavier loses as a one seed. The Jeremy Hill fumble against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know that it's fully set in in Cincinnati that this 31-year drought is over. And while that's trying to set in, I feel like a lot of people in Cincinnati aren't running down the streets. They're running to get tickets to head down to Nashville. This is mm. a four-hour drive. Mm -hmm. it is a, uh, it's a favorable matchup. I think when you look at the three AFC opponents, Buffalo, Kansas City, Tennessee, if you could have handpicked a matchup and a, and, a, and a destination, I think a lot of those in Cincinnati would have chosen this, uh, this game in Nashville. So, Tony, who wins? You know, if, if you asked me at the beginning of last week, I was so confident that the Bengals were going to beat the Raiders. And then Friday came and you get that nervous energy. I look at this game 
much like I looked at the Raiders game. Look, they match up extremely well. The Bengals have one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL right now. And the biggest thing for me is they're playing confident. And when a team is confident, they're a dangerous team. I don't think Derrick Henry is is 100% game ready. I think that puts the onus on Ryan Tannehill. And when these two teams met last year, the Bengals played from ahead. If you can play from ahead against the Tennessee Titans, it makes them more one-dimensional, and it allows the Bengals to control that line of scrimmage battle. So I think the Bengals get out on top early. I think they make Tennessee pressure with that run game a little bit. And I do, as crazy as this sounds, I, I do truly think that the Bengals can win this game and punch a ticket to the AFC championship game. Hmm. Listening to him on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. Tony, appreciate your time. Look for the song coming out. To blame Jordan if you don't like it, though. Is that the name of the song? Man, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I saw so many videos from Jordan over the past 48 hours. I can't wait for more to come out. I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly waiting each post that Jordan makes on social media. Yeah, this is going to get out of control if they win. We can Thanks, get anybody Tony. to we eat feces you. and run naked. Tony it's Jordan a... Cornette. I, I'm just, oh, yeah. my money's on Jordan. <laughs> oh, Tony's given us the straight talk. Straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. The straight talk is uh, Jordan's reminding us that he's a former athlete with some of these videos. I'm just mm. saying. All right, mm-hmm. we've got some big news coming out of University of Michigan. Not what you think. And also, some news about the Olympics you need to know. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Dolly Parton's birthday. Happy birthday, Dolly. Sarah, can I give you another Dolly Parton story? I would love another Dolly Parton story. So one of my closest friends in the world, Derek Wells, uh, his dad, uh, Kent, has been the band leader for Dolly for years, for a no very way. long time. And uh, so, you know, Derek and I sort of cut our teeth together at the same time in Nashville. And there was a period where uh, he had to sub in for somebody and she was doing a whole European tour. And he grew up around her because his dad played for her for so many years and knows her very, very well. But you know how artists are. They're, they're constantly busy. So they don't really notice what's going on a lot of times. So the funny thing is that he played this whole European run for like three weeks and he was on stage every night in the same spot, but Dolly's doing her job. She's not really focused on it, right? The last night of the tour, she in that European segment, she looks over and she's like, why are you here? Because she hadn't seen him the first few weeks because he's standing over on the side just like lightly playing the acoustic guitar. So I always thought it was funny to think like weeks you've been on tour with somebody you grew up around and finally she's like, oh, wait. You're different. So, yeah. Uh, but great. by the way, I should say that Kent and Derek have always made sure to, to, to say there's not a negative thing to say about Dolly mm. Parton. She is truly as legendary as everybody thinks that she is. And in, in my limited interactions has always been that. Her incredible work with her imagination library where she mails books to kids from birth until they're in school so that they can make sure that they read if they're not um, if they're not, you know, uh, uh, financially able to do so. She helped fund. The vaccine, uh, which is incredible. Um, and she interestingly sort of manages to stay out of politics while also making how she feels about treating people equally and caring for people regardless of gender, nationality, race, sex, etc. Um, very clear. And it's an interesting tightrope walk. And if you listen to that Dolly Parton's America, which I'm telling you, even if you're not a big Dolly Parton fan, it's just so fascinating and so interesting the way that she's influencing singers in Africa or college, you know, university classes or, uh, you know, the, 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 the area around the Appalachia where she grew up. 
Um, all of it is fascinating. And uh, they do at one point kind of get into how she's managed to be everybody's favorite, even people who you might think are at odds with the way she treats, you know, for instance, LGBTQIA people. It's a, a amazing statement to Dolly for the work that she's done and the legacy that she will leave that's far bigger than the music that she has made. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, want to get you guys caught up on a couple of big news stories that have come out. And one flew under the radar a little bit, I think partially because of the football obsession that we have right now as we go through the playoffs, obviously, but one that we don't want to let fall under the radar here. The University of Michigan has agreed to pay $490 million in damages to more than 1,000 former students, mostly male, who say they were sexually abused by sports director Robert Anderson. So that was confirmed uh, today. It came after 15 months of mediation and it closes the book, at least for now, on one of the nation's biggest sex abuse scandals, which started all the way back in the 1960s, Sarah. And for some reason, it doesn't feel like this has gotten the same publicity as other scandals have. But $490 million to over 1,000 students is a huge, huge statement. Yeah, that number of 1,050 complainants that are going to share in the settlement is confounding. It's too big to even really wrap your head around. And I think a lot of people might disingenuously try to point the finger. I've even seen people on social, oh, you know, Jim Harbaugh's the golden boy, and that's why. Or, you know, everybody loves Bo Schembechler, or whatever reason you want to give. A, a lot of people really liked, um, you know, uh, the folks involved over at Penn State. Uh, a lot of people are ready and quick to defend Michigan State. This, to me, is not about the school. It's unfortunately about what happens when we become numb to the very tragic but realistic outcomes that that we're seeing in these schools, right? Last year, USC had an $852 million settlement with more than 700 women who accused the college's longtime campus gynecologist of abuse, right? You've got this happening. And I've written stories about uh, specifically Larry Nasser and, and a lot of the fallout from that. And there's actually studies that look into people who have these issues of sexual predation and otherwise seeking out places where people are more likely to protect the institution than follow their own instinct when it comes to morality or criminal criminality or what's right. And that's churches, that's sports, that's the military, that's universities and schools, places where the holding up of the idea and the pride surrounding an institution can really affect the way people behave and whether they report and act. And, and some of the discussion behind the scenes about those who knew about legendary folks like Bo Schembechler doesn't make this any less awful and terrible than the ones we heard before. We just sort of, I think, are exhausted. And that shock and awe of the first one with each one that comes after, it's a little harder for people to want to dive back into something that's that horrific. That also, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, there also becomes some conversation where people are saying, yeah, but this school did this, and yeah, but this school did that. And I think that's totally the wrong uh, conversation we need to be having right now. To me, it's not even as much about the money as it is the number of victims. And at this mm -hmm. point, no matter what school we are at, I don't care if it's smaller, if it's bigger, if it's a state school or a liberal arts school, what we have to look at is say, okay, enough schools have had this issue that it's obviously a problem to the point that you made. At some point, you've got to start looking internally and saying, let's get ahead of making sure that have we ever had this problem? Do we have the right steps in place to make sure that we don't have this problem? And are we protecting the students to a spot where they feel comfortable speaking about these sorts right. of issues? I think this is a real opportunity, strangely, for every college to say, hey, 
Let's take these hardships and look inside ourselves and figure out how we can do business better as an institution. Well, that's what we've said at every turn. The people who write about this, the people who care about this, people who follow this, they say, now is the time to look at your house and ask if you have your reporting set up correctly. Ask if you're a place where people would feel comfortable saying something and reporting and coming out about what's happened to them. And listen, it can't be more clear than probably folks who are big Michigan fans deciding that when everything went down with Larry Nassar in Michigan State that they would point the finger and say it would never happen here and then this comes out, right? I mean, that's how it works is point the finger at everybody else without taking accountability for what might be going on under your own house. And hopefully these are big enough and they make enough noise to change the way that schools, and, and a lot of this is Big Ten related, the way that um, things are set up. But I don't know if I have a big hope for that, Fitz. We've seen too many times how people prioritize success or money or sports or just their own reputation. And for anybody that's exhausted with these conversations in general, I would just say that the minute we stop having the conversations, we don't do justice to any of the victims. And so even if it's it's exhausted, we we have to continue to have these conversations. Also, quickly want to make sure everybody knows for some breaking Olympic news, NBC will not be sending any of its announcing teams to the upcoming Winter Olympics. So COVID-19 concerns mean that they'll be calling games remotely. I'm not sure that impacts everybody out of the gates, but it at least is part of the conversation we need to be aware of as COVID will continue to be part of the the, the issue that they're going to have to deal with in trying to figure out how to make the Olympics actually happen as yeah. they come closer and closer. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.